folks uh, on the phone with us is Mubin Shake. Mubin, what kind of music should we play to intro you? Well, either uh, Seek and Destroy by Metallica. Okay. That's my uh, anti-ISIS jihad music. <laughs> nice. Or, uh, or, or if you're into the uh, foreign policy grievances angle, then War Pigs. Okay. Terrorism update. That's right. With the bomb, Mubin Sheikh. He is an ex-Muslim extremist turned undercover intelligence operative and author of Undercover Jihadi. And uh, you want to stay tuned as uh, Bomb gives us the truth about the latest acts of terrorism in this crazy world of ours. Mubin, dude, what? You just flew back from where? Uh, Italy, Treviso, Italy. It was a uh, United Nations meeting of religious leaders. Uh, what's their strategy for the refugee crisis, especially from an interfaith perspective? Uh, we can talk about a lot of work that Christian organizations have been doing. You know, the Pope has been very vocal on this. Uh, really, really serious issue that's affecting Europe now. Uh, and that's just one of them. And the week prior, I was in uh, the island of Crete with the NATO Maritime Interdiction Training Center. These are the guys who board boats and um, and are watching the, the refugee crisis, you know, uh, over the seas, the Mediterranean Sea and uh, and whatnot. Wow. Very, very busy stuff. Do you get paid for this stuff? Because you got to make a living, man. Well, you know what? I, I don't. I don't get paid um, for this stuff. I mean, my, my agenda is actually I want to get the right message out. Uh, I want to be I want to be the guy that are giving that right message. You know, I have some other investments on the side, you know, that will get me my money. Yeah. Um, but uh, I really am that sucker altruist. You are. That's, uh, and that's why I like you, man. That's why we kind of connect. So uh, just a bit of a background, because this is season 13, and some folks may not know who you are. This is the guy who infiltrated the Toronto 18 and helped uh, the Toronto cops and everyone else involved bust this gang open. Is that a fair summation? Did I, did I screw that up? No, that's, uh, that's, that's what I became known for, because it became a uh, public prosecution. But I worked undercover with uh, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service prior to that. Numerous infiltration operations, but... Uh, since they're not public prosecutions, they'll never see the light of day. So, Wow. Wow. Okay. Listen, there's a number of things in the news that we've got to talk about. Uh, first of all, you know, I think the most, the most obvious one is the Syrian refugee crisis. Um, it, I, don't, I don't think I really grasp this whole concept. So Assad is a whack job running Syria. True story? True. Okay. And his people hate him so much that they're leaving the country in droves. How many people, any idea how many people have attempted to leave? Oh, wow. Well, we know that there are about 9 million who are displaced inside and outside Syria. Wow. Uh, two mi- yeah, 9 million. Okay, 2 million are with Turkey, about 1.8 million in Jordan, another million in Lebanon, half a million in Egypt, half a million in Iraq, and hundreds of thousands now, of course, arriving on uh, the shores of Europe. All right. Um, what is what is this guy's problem? Like, aside from using um, um, you know toxic gas on his own people, uh, why are they why are they leaving? Basically, yeah, people. I mean, let's we have to understand the Middle East in the, in the context of you know decades of history. There were there were dictators that were either put in place or took power by coup. So for example, the Assad family that rules in Syria, they were kind of facilitated into government and in power by the French. Now, the Assad and his family are a minority sect ruling over a majority Sunni country. Uh, if you juxtapose that with Iraq, it was a minority Sunni leader ruling over a majority Shia country. So it's sort of like, you know, a religious minority uh, ruling over another majority. And I mean, that just never ends up uh, beneficial to us. Uh, and so what happened in 2012 is it was a peaceful demonstration. Of course, it came at the heels of the Arab Spring and a lot of other countries went through their own upheavals. And, of course, the upheavals made their way to Syria. 
There were some uh, peaceful demonstrations. Of course, the Assad regime, which is a brutal dictatorship that's propped up by Russia and Iran, um, of course, started killing all kinds of people, and then the civil war began. Okay, so are you saying that Russia, Iran, and Syria are all in bed? Oh, yes. Russia is the, the top benefactor of military weapons in particular, billions of dollars worth of weapons. The Russians have now, uh, they're now formally inside Syria. I mean, they've deployed tanks, other heavy weaponry, whatnot. They are, of course, in collusion with Iran. Iran is the majority Shia country in the region. Um, and Iran have their Iranian uh, revolutionary guards are on the ground. Hezbollah, which is a Shia group, has also been invited to come into Syria. There are other various Shia militias that are also in Syria. So certainly the, the, the three, this, this axis of the three are Syria, Russia, and Iran. All right. Why do us sucky North Americans care about this? Why do we care? Well, on one hand, we, we don't care. Uh, that's a problem. I mean, four years ago, the war began. We thought, look, we don't want to go in again. Interventions, you know, we, we screw that up all the time. Uh, especially coming on the heels of the invasion of Iraq in 2003, which really laid the foundation for the emergence of ISIS. Uh, of course, it was Assad and company who let ISIS grow, but that's a, a secondary factor. So given Iraq and Afghanistan, 2001, uh, I mean, blood, too much blood and treasure. And the idea that we need to do something about Syria, people agree, but it's just never worked out so well. And so there's been this hands-off approach. Now, juxtapose that with... The West is really busy with the Iran nuclear deal. That's the big, that's the big deal. Because if you put it on a board, what is easier to manage? Yet another religious insurgent group in the Middle East or a nuclear arms race in the Middle East? So I think certainly the latter is much, much harder to manage. And so they kind of let the Syria crisis go, thinking that it could be contained and dealt with. But now we've learned that's, that's certainly not the case. Oh, man. Are so, you, yeah. do you, Tim, do you get this? Yeah, you know what? Because you're, you're kind of a liberal, yeah, uh, tree-hugging, yes. save-the-planet type guy. Um, like, I, I'm trying to think is, you know, people are freaking out about the Iran deal. Like, you're, you're a Muslim, you're a political. Uh, is it a good thing? Well, let's, let's look at the options. I mean, um, first of all, there's no such thing as a good option anymore. Uh, no. Any way you look at it in the Middle East, it's just a bunch of bad options, and which is the least worst. Uh, the, the worst option would be to, to start a war with Iran. Uh, that is not something that we can sustain. Uh, like I said, coming off of Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, 2001, 2003 respectively, you, you don't want to go with Iran. Iran is not you know, a, a cheesy army like the Iraqi military was. They're, they are, a, they are a, a serious fighting force. So we do not want to go down the road of war and at least uh, open high-level conflict. So now what we're left with is low-level intensity or low-intensity conflicts like insurgencies, proxy wars, and this is what uh, this is what we're, we're going to have to deal with. So Iran deal, um, I mean, it's bad, but I mean, it's not the worst thing. Okay, uh, folks, on the phone with Mubin Sheikh, he is the bomb, and he is uh, our uh, terrorism update guy. He's an ex-Muslim extremist. He's uh, turned undercover intelligence operative. He's the author of Undercover Jihadi, and he's got a, a new website because apparently Undercover Jihadi doesn't work anymore. Is that true? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, not be so uh, self-aggrandizing. Um, really, you know, really. I'm doing my PhD in psychology. I need to go the professional route. Um, the book is, the book is good. The book really is good. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's just one among a number of skills that I have. Can I ask oh, hold on. No, can you imagine being his his daughter and uh, his daughter, you know, goes <laughs> missing a little bit, and then all of a sudden, movement calls up, buddy, and says. I have a very particular set of skills. <laughs> That's right. That's right.
Have you ever heard the, the most cr- important the thing the is version? I got an alibi. Yes, <laughs> yes. Sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say, like, you know, we've got um, um, the European, depending on which European country it is, being very generous yeah. with their their intake of of uh, refugees, and then we've got Canada oh, we sitting go. on the post. So is. Is Stephen Harper right by saying we got to clear them all because you know a good chunk of them are terrorists and we can't let them into the country? Is that what he said? That's what, that he, what he said. To be implying. Yeah, no. that's the implication. See, but it's, it's wrong. It's wrong. I mean, General uh, Rick Hillier. Uh, I mean, he made it very clear. Like, we very can clear. actually vet a lot of people really fast. I mean, we have a really robust system in place. It can be done. But I think that it's a bigger question that, that is being asked in Canada, I think, on both sides. We, re- we recognize that something needs to be done, but should we be the ones doing it? And that's a valid question. Right now, I think the primary responsibility lies on Muslim countries. And, and they've, they've, bore, I mean, they've taken in most of the refugees. I mean, two million just in Turkey, like I said, you know, uh, half, one and a half and one and a half between Jordan and Lebanon. So... So they're doing that. The Gulf countries, I mean, there was a little bit of things circulating saying that the, the Saudis, the uh, Kuwait, Qatar, they're not really doing their fair share. And that's, I mean, partly true, but the Saudis have actually taken in uh, a few hundred thousand. Uh, they pay towards the upkeep of a lot of these refugee centers. By the way, that story you heard about Saudi offering to build 200 mosques in Germany, false story. There's a lot of uh, fake refugee, anti-refugee memes that are that are coming out. And you have these two sides. You have a very anti-refugee uh, mentality, and then you have one that's really open and welcoming. So, for example, Germany, they wrote on their trains, you know, Ahlan wa sahlan, you know, welcome, welcome. Uh, I was in Greece in, at the island of Crete. I saw with my own eyes a banner that was hung up says, refugees, welcome. But then when you look at, you know, really countries that have had a negative um, political history with especially Muslim populations, so Hungary, Slovakia, They've basically they've gone the opposite way. They're like, no, we don't want you. Um, Denmark, even which is known to be very uh, refugee friendly, actually is putting out ads saying that listen, like don't come here, like it's you're not going to be welcomed here. Or here are a list of things you got to agree with. To so you have two sides, right? Those who basically see, uh, you know, the invasion of the Muslim refugee, and that's and that's one of the narratives that's popular. But the other, which is very positive, which is like these people are really, really suffering. I mean, it's terrible conditions. For you to have to take your family, your little ones across a sea, think about what you're fleeing, right? So, yeah. so I think we have to look at both sides. And ultimately, coming back to Canada, I mean, everyone has a responsibility, I believe. It's, it's, it really is similar to the Jewish refugee crisis of post-World War II, 1930s, where, I mean, Jewish people came in ships on the coast, and people were like, we don't want Jews here, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you have those two narratives. Now, here in Canada... I would submit that we do have a responsibility, but we also have to be uh, cognizant of, you know, Canadian um, feelings. So I think we can get over that by saying those people who have relatives, like we know that they live here, they're established here, those people should be given, their relatives, the people that they know should be given asylum. Uh, we, we shouldn't just open the doors to everyone, um, you know, just a long line of whatever. We need to plug them into people that are living here, that are established here, and that will take care of them here. You know, speaking of that concept of those Canadians who have relatives over there, we should open the door quick and get them over. Um, isn't it just incredible how it takes a picture of a dead kid on a beach for us to wake up? I think that's amazing. I mean, it, it just, I don't know. I mean, they've equated it to that picture of the girl, um, the napalm, know, the napalm uh, girl, yeah. who lives in Toronto, by the way. Okay, listen, uh, we, we're running out of time here, and i got 73 other things to ask you about. So in three minutes, 
Uh, Omar Cotter, they've relaxed his bail conditions. Are you okay with that? You know what? Um, so, so I've met and interacted with some of the people who dealt with Omar Cotter directly. I mean, the American agent who put him on the plane to Canada. I've spoken to him. I've spoken to friends of uh, of the Delta Force uh, member who was who was killed. And at the end of the day, they they're overwhelmingly in agreement that he was a child soldier by all definition. All right. Yeah. Fifteen. I mean, you wasn't can't he? just you can't just get into a cab. And, and go to the Canadian embassy and say, hey, my dad's doing this and that. I mean, everyone knows who you are. They're going to turn you right around and bring you back to your dad. So so that's one thing. I understand because of the family. I mean, the, the sister especially, I mean, she's been quite the mouthpiece. She's, you know, lipped off about me as well. They're horrible people, I agree. Uh, but Omar Khadr himself, you know, I think he's very different. I think we can see from the way that he's he's responded. He's a very fragile uh, person, he's not the hardcore, ideologically, you know, concrete killer that that some people make him out to be. There's always middle ground, so I'm okay with that. I mean, I know he's being monitored, so I sure. mean, yeah. Okay, so let's go from uh, Omar Cotter to the kid who brought the alarm clock to school. Oh my God! So I, I made a joke. Um, so for those who don't know, I mean, Muslim kid Ahmed Mohammed, you know, that's two tickets right there, right? Um, <laughs> He comes with a clock to school, and they think it's a bomb. He gets arrested. And in Texas. In Texas, of course. Yeah. Uh, so so the, the, the uh, president came out in support of him, Hillary Clinton, Chris Hadfield, I mean, our, our astronaut. So my joke was, uh, I'm thinking of getting a bomb for my wrist. The guy selling it is a brown guy. The guy selling it is, says it's a watch, but he's a brown guy, and he's Hindu. That's a type of Muslim, right? <laughs> So you know, it's, it's really ridiculous. It shows, and it's not just happening to Muslims. I think you were talking earlier about the general distaste towards religion in in general, yeah. and Christians feel this, and and Muslims feel this, and Jews feel this. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. I think there is a very anti-religious bent in society now, mocking people who who, who display their religion. I mean, the Tebow, you know, that's one thing, right? That's acceptable stuff. I'm not talking about you know that that uh, Kentucky clerk who didn't want to do gay marriages. Like he worked for the government. You you got to do what they tell you to do. Like it's simple as that. So, uh, so yeah. I mean, really stupid, stupid case of uh, over response by the by the school. Okay, but if you're a if you're a smart, brainiac, you know, Sheldon type kid who happens to be a Muslim kid, uh, and l- let's I don't know. There's a part of me that kind of kind of thinks he should have known better. Yeah, this kid. But no, no, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. This kid brought something to school. That he knew darn well, the the whiteies in that school would that? freak out How about do you it know that? because all kids everywhere try to jerk around their teachers or they do something okay, so goofy if at school kid or whatever. Had done it, do you think he would have had the same sort of treatment if he had walked in knowing this guy looks I, like a bomb? I don't know. All I know teacher. is all I know yeah. is is that yeah. this guy. Uh, uh, shut up! <laughs> like four years old over there. Um, this guy brought something that looked. I mean, I saw a picture of the thing, and and you know, if I was a, if I was a teacher and a kid brought that to school. And the kid happened to be a Muslim kid, and I was in Texas. You got a perfect storm there. Stupid. I get it. That's what you need to say. I get okay, it. Okay, thank you. But I don't yeah. know. I, just, you no, can, I can they, see the kid going, oh, I'm bringing this. They're probably going to think it's a bomb, but it's a clock. Do you not yeah. think a kid could say that? But he's built a ton of other stuff at Wait, home. Like, he's a gadget kid. I get it, but he he knew that this thing looked pretty sus. Don't you think, Mubin? Well, he's, like you said, you know, he is a gadget kid. I mean, yeah. He's, uh, if, if he, they, they definitely know what he's about and what he's done before. And I agree with you. It is a perfect storm, but you know it's not right that we expect kids that 
if he makes a school project to think, oh, wait a second, I'm a Muslim. Should I be? Is this something no, that yeah, I can, yeah, yeah. you know, study or work on? Well, but what did the what did the police guy say? He said, in this day and age, you can't bring something that looks like a bomb to school. You can't. You know, you know, what? the the U.S. is a really really strange place. I mean, you have some examples, even in, actually in Edmonton, where a kid had a pipe bomb and got it to the airport, and he wasn't charged. Of course, he was a white guy, right? But then you have, like, on the other hand, like, really stupid things where, like, a kid will wear, like, a, a First Nations kid wore a Mohawk haircut, and he was sent home for that. Or a white kid who wears, like, I think it was, like, a really pro-America shirt, and he was sent home for wearing that. So, I mean, it's so screwed up with, with the kinds of things that they, like, they just nanny yeah. people over. Man, I love having you on the show. Will you come back again next month? Of course. I would like to have a monthly occurrence with you. Terrorism update. That, with sounds, the, that sounds devious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with the bomb, Moobin, Shake. Uh, Moobin, thanks so much, man. We're going to go out with your theme song. Here we go. This oh, is yeah. Seek, Seek and Destroy by Metallica. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you in a month, man. Take care. Bye. Moobin, Shake on the Drew Marshall Show. All right, short break. When we come back, we're going to change gears. We're going to go from Metallica to uh, some fiddle music and my dad talking about life on the farm. So different. All right.